Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are recovering members of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their story of food addiction and how food addicts help them. So, Bridget and Patrick, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, we usually on the show, we usually talk about growing up and the things that influenced us to take the path we took and looking at, at our relationships and how our addiction has affected relationships and, and that, and then to go on and look at recovery and I guess your path to recovery and the things that helped you the most uh, to get where you are today and, and then how good recovery is. So Bridget, would you like to tell us a little bit about, you know, sort of growing up and the things that influenced you and what you were like as a kid? Sure. Thank you so much. And thank you to me. I grew up, I was one of eight children. We were born in seven years. So one on top of each other uh, to a uh, devout Irish Catholic mother <laughs> And it was a very tumultuous time growing up. My mom has a severe mental illness. And growing up, I was always in a lot of fear, a lot of fear when I would come in, um, come home from school, come into the house, always wondering what shape my mom was going to be in, what sort of wreckage I was going to walk into. So uh, the fear part of addiction for me, you know, we talk about this disease being feared out and insecurity. I had fear right out of the gate. I was just always scared, always scared, always worried. And so as a little kid, I was really shy. I didn't um, speak up a lot. And as a little kid, I avoided being home. Anything that I could do to avoid being home, I sought out, you know, staying after school, finding friends, spending time elsewhere so that I wouldn't have to come in, you know, walk into that fear very much. So I know now looking back as a young child, I turned to the fridge often, just often when I was feeling uncomfortable at home. And because there were so many of us, we didn't have a lot of uh, the good foods, as I would say, as an addict, I wanted the sugar, I wanted the flour, I wanted the fat, I wanted the snacks, you know, I wanted the candy, I wanted the, you know, ice cream, we would only have a certain amount of that. Um, But I would also go for, you know, sweeter vegetables or sweeter fruits and whatever I could, I just noticed in looking back, I didn't know it at the time when I was growing up, but looking back, I was always kind of trying to find something out of the pantry or the fridge to take me out of how I was feeling. And the older that I got, you know, more situations would cause me fear. When I went through puberty and I was in middle school and you start getting attracted to, you know, the opposite sex or to someone else, like all of those things, it felt like more and more situations were added to my life that caused me more and more fear. I just did not fit in with my peers. Um, I was just that weird kid. I I would chew my nails off um, all the way. You know, I was that little kid in the back of the room chewing her nails off and just not really fitting in with anyone um, and I was sad. You know, I was just a sad little kid. You know? Yeah. Can I ask, I guess, what position you were in a family and how you got on with your siblings? Sure. I was um, number five <laughs> and I have I had four older brothers and then there was a set of twins below me, a boy and girl, and then uh, my sister. So there was five boys and three girls. And what's interesting is I was the oldest girl. So I sort of took on a role of being kind of a secondary mom to my younger siblings, and I became the protector of them as well. Um, that's sort of a role that I came on. I got along pretty well with my siblings, but in our household, you either were getting it from my mom or you were thankful that you weren't. And you didn't really try to step in that much to get in the line of fire. <laughs> um, I would do it with my younger siblings as I got older, but you really were just like, thank God it's not me right now. That's under attack. Um, and so it was this dynamic. I'm, I'm the closest I'm to are my sisters, but I'm not as close with my brothers. We sort of separated 
as a family. As soon as one person hit adulthood, they would escape where we're at today. Talking about feeling different and growing up, going to, I guess, what we call secondary school or what you call, I think, middle school, what was it like for you then and how did it change your actions when you were one of the bigger kids? I was always one of the girls in the time period from age like 12 to 18. I was always about 40 to 50 pounds heavier than my peers. And it was awful. I mean, it was just awful for me not being able to fit into the same clothes as the other kids. Um, I always felt different then. I felt less than. I didn't feel as good. I didn't feel good enough. I, and I and my disease, my disease of food addiction always told me that if I was just thin, then everything would be okay. And I wasn't. So I was never okay. I was never okay because I was never thin. Yeah. So did you reach for anything else to help? Yes. Uh, to help with um, my food addiction or to help numb myself out? <laughs> well, just to, to help you feel better about yourself. Mm. Well, I did uh, make some friendships that were significant for me. One thing for me was my best friend's mother. She was someone to lean on, and I felt like I had a little bit of a safe space to go to, and I really feel like God put her in my life for a reason. So another thing that would happen is if we ever talked about what was going on in our house, we would get in trouble. So I wasn't able to really reach out to teachers or um one time I reached out to my best friend's mom and it got back to my mom and it was awful. So you, you kind of learned early on not to. So for me, recovery is the first place that I was able to really seek help and be honest and talk about things. I never had that experience before. And so the recovery rooms was just wonderful for me uh, to be able to have that. And having a sponsor was wonderful because it was the first time that I was able to really talk about things and not be afraid. Yeah. So what, what about relationships during that period? Were they difficult? Definitely. My relationships with my siblings were very hard. I was extremely jealous of my younger sisters. They did, they did not have food addiction the way that I did. They were not overweight. They were actually really popular. Um, and some of my brothers were, and I did not fit in with my peers. So even in my own family life, it was very difficult for me to connect with them. And I just had a really hard time making friendships and sustaining friendships. I did not learn how to do that until recovery. Um, they were very superficial. I mean, I remember to this day, someone on my volleyball team that I played with every year, um, she lost her father in the middle of high school. And I didn't even know that. I didn't, I didn't find it out till years later when she posted something on social media mentioning it. And I just remember thinking to myself, I was so disconnected to my peers as I was growing up that I didn't I didn't hear or even understand significant things that were going on for them. I guess you could call it just extreme self-centeredness for me in this disease. I didn't know what was going on for anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, it happens that way, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so over to you, Patrick. So do you want to tell us a little bit about you, know, you as, a, as a youth and the things that were influencing your behaviour? Sure, thank you. I grew up in a family of five boys. And I was the middle middle of five, and my dad was a um, a big 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 scary angry guy. He was a New York City police officer. He was a ex football player, and what I learned early on was just to always be reading, always be trying to read the wind, how his moods were going to be, and and they were really unpredictable. Um, he he could he would go to anger really quickly. And so as a youth, I just think that I picked up a lot of fear early on and everything scared me. I was afraid of going to school. I was afraid of, uh, I just didn't want the world. I wanted to live in a really small world. I used to sit and watch TV. I would read sports, sports magazines. Um, sports is something I felt comfortable with. Outside of that, I didn't. In school, I didn't do very well. I'm potentially could have been diagnosed with some sort of uh, disability because I could not pay attention. And I would just fill the hours with just sort of up in my own head, thinking fantasy stories and all kinds of things. I didn't identify as a, as a, a food addict till later in my life, but when, once I did, and I look back, I could definitely see signs of it. When I was young, I would steal, I would steal from some stores, candy stores, and, and that was no small thing because my, my dad was a disciplinarian. So if I would have got caught, it would have had, would have been, there would have been consequences. 
I would still even within my house, my mom, we we were fairly low budget family, and there was everything was fair was like we every we knew what was ours and what wasn't ours, and my mom would bring some stuff in and say, "Keep your hands off this," and and I wouldn't. Did she say that because she knew you were taking it, or? I think she said it because it wasn't just to me. She said it to all five of us. Right. And it was like, this is something special. We're going to do, use this for special occasions. Um, but I, I actually could not stop myself from going and, and availing myself to it. So all the fear, all, and at the same time, like this really big desire to be, to be special, to be somebody important, to be popular. And you know, I went through school. I, I was, I had difficulty in school. I started cheating to get through. And then I got into alcohol when I, into my, I would say, I think I was 15 years old when I first drank and alcohol became a big, a big crutch of mine for a long time, for a lot of years. And I, I don't know how I didn't end up in the rooms of AA, but for some reason I, I was able to, when it was time to stop, I, I could do it. Uh, and at the same time, I used to drink every day. I had blackouts. So I had all, all kinds of things. I, I have a story that can match many alcoholics, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you want to just talk a bit about what alcohol did for you? Oh, man, it just gave me all of a sudden I was somebody, you know, all of a sudden I read those stories in the a big book about people who didn't fit in and then they drank their first drink and and from their toes to the top of their head, they could feel it. And that was it for me. You know, very first very first time I drank uh, beer with my friends. I, I went, we were at a, a school dance and I c- couldn't barely interact when I was there. We went outside, had a couple of beers. I came back in and I had a personality. I could talk to the girl that I had a crush on who I could not talk to before that. So all of a sudden I was, I, I, I could, I could engage. I, I, I was funny. I had things to say. And when I wasn't, I was stuck. I was so tongue tied talking to people and had no ability to talk to girls. So that's that's some of that. Relationships and girls definitely took up a lot of headspace for me. And yeah, I would say those two things, the, the girls, romance and, and alcohol it was like my teen day age and into my 20s uh, doing a lot of that. I actually became I got became a cook, a professional cook. So that put me around food a lot and it. And I was always a really skinny kid. So it wasn't like I had to worry about putting on weight. I could eat a ton of food and not have to worry about it. But I was in restaurants. I started working in restaurants, which was an environment that had all kinds of, all kinds of uh, addictions and things people were using. And it was sort of perfect in, in some ways for me because I fit in there. You know, I used, I used coffee. I used alcohol. I used sex. I used overworking. Uh, anything to make myself feel like I belonged or I was important. So, so when did you notice food was a problem to you? At, at that point, did you, was it becoming a concern? I didn't. I, I definitely did not see it as a problem. I definitely did not. There were other things worse than food going on. Uh, I got into 12-step programs when I was 33, and, there wasn't, and it wasn't about food. It was about other other addictions. And you know, the, 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 the story, the sort of philosophy or the, the formula in 12-step programs is you put the drug down and you stay available. You stay available to God. You stay available to, 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 to life. And I put the things down, but I picked other things up. So I started picking up food more and put on weight. But weight isn't, I mean, I, I, I'm, at, I'm at like 160 right now. Probably I was about 170, 175 when I was at my normal weight in my 30s. Um, but I got over, I, I got up to over 200 pounds, which isn't huge. But for me, it was a lot considering how much I could eat without putting on weight. The fact that I had put on like 40, 30, 35 pounds was significant to me. Um, I, I was really clear that something wasn't still wasn't right because I had done therapy for a lot of years. Um, I had gotten into 12 step programs when I was 33, but nothing, things didn't seem to be changing. I mean, there was definitely some, some stuff that was better, no doubt about it. I wasn't drinking the way I used to drink. 
Um, I was more honest than I was. I was in recovery communities. So I was around people and I was telling the truth more. Uh, so there was definite improvement in the, my, my life habits and stuff, but I wasn't getting what a lot of other people were getting from recovery. So you're still blindsided a bit to the real problem. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, it's like that this thing, the surrender is such a key piece of recovery, surrendering. And I'm guessing I just, there was still some things I was holding on to that I wasn't willing to let go of. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Okay. Well, listen, we'll take a short break there. Uh, today we're featuring the music of Rustin, a music producer, songwriter, and guitarist from Sydney, Australia. He collaborates with a range of vocalists to create predominantly pop, electronic, and rock songs. Uh, Rustin released his debut single, I'm Alive, in January 2022, and has just released his second single, Soft and Sweet, Lying to Me. He plans to release a debut album soon. Uh, we're going to play both of his songs. Uh, we're starting with his new single, Soft and Sweet, Lying to Me, uh, which appropriately features an anonymous vocalist. Enjoy. is a not-for-profit community health organisation providing health and support services in Melbourne. 
In late 2021, CoHealth facilitated a workshop for women from diverse cultural backgrounds on effective communication skills for social and professional settings. Positive outcomes for workshop participants were collaborative discussions in safe spaces and onward access to support services. To learn more about our services and programs, visit cohealth.org.au. CoHealth is a 3CR supporter. Merhaba. Bugün nasılsınız? A Turkish eco-feminist approach to dismantle the toxic misconception of the good immigrant. Intrigued? Well, so are we. The Good Immigrant is broadcasted in Turkish every Thursday between 6.30pm to 7pm. Tell your friends and family because you have a date with Özesu and Özgü. 3CR, 8.55am, Thursdays, 6.30pm to 7pm. See you all then. listening to the living free show on 3cr 855 kilohertz on your am dial and 3cr on digital radio if you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just google 3cr living free on our webpage you'll also find details about the living free show and how you can contact us today i'm talking with bridget and patrick and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of food addicts and recovery anonymous uh, so, Bridget, when we when we left talking uh, before the break, you're talking about the fact that your relationships were pretty superficial, had difficulty with, I, I think you mentioned jealousy with your sisters and some of your brothers. So you're getting towards the end of your teens. So what was life like for you when you finished senior school? Mm. Well, I uh, I went away to college here. I think you might call it university there. Yep. And it was like the perfect storm for my addiction. Up to this point, I was in the food, but I didn't understand that food addiction even existed at this time. I just knew that I was overweight, that I didn't like myself, and I had a hard time getting the things that I wanted in life just because I just I didn't know. I felt like my life was supposed to be different and I couldn't get there and I went away to college, which was on one hand, I was so happy to get away from my home life. I went, I went to school hundreds of miles away, finally away from, you know, that tumultuous family, but I didn't know how to live life. I wasn't given tools on how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of yourself? I didn't know how to do that. I was a food addict and I was always searching for the food. I also became an alcoholic during this time period, you know, tried drugs, smoking, you name it. So it was like this perfect storm. I went away to school. At this time, I was 165 pounds. I was 18 years old. And by the time my first quarter, which was 10 weeks long, was over, I was over 215 pounds. I was smoking at least a pack of cigarettes a day. I hadn't even been a smoker when I left for school and I started drinking. <laughs> I also had a fake ID. So I was drinking and I was eating more. I was ordering food in. We never ordered food in. We didn't have uh, the funds growing up. And I learned at school, you can order food in and oh my God, I can order food in and I don't have to face people and I can order massive amounts of food and people don't have to see me. And I remember I would order extra drinks and pretend there were other people over at my house and there weren't. And it was just this perfect storm when I went away and I put on so much weight so quickly. The fear got worse. My doubt got worse. My insecurity got worse. Um, I plummeted hard. Like I fell hard and fast into addiction. And that lasted my whole four years of school. I barely graduated. I cannot believe I graduated from college. There's a story in the big book that says that when people 
start missing the bar. Normal people, if they're missing what they are setting as the bar for themselves, will rearrange their life so they can make that bar. But addicts, we just lower the bar. And that's exactly what I did. I lowered the bar to like, I just want to graduate. And then I made it for a couple years after graduation before I sought recovery. And uh, like Patrick, I first found the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I wasn't quite I wasn't getting skyrocketed to that fourth dimension that it talks about. I was still, I was basically sitting in the rooms of AA going, where's my husband and why am I still fat? Why do I still hate myself? And where's my husband? And all through this time period, I was always trying to lose weight. If I could just lose weight. So I I was dieting and losing 10 pounds and gaining 20 and training for marathons and seeking therapy and doing Weight Watchers again and buying that book that Oprah said and you know, just trying, 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 never successful and actually losing weight and maintaining weight. And through the process of AA, very similar to kind of what Patrick said, is that the blinders started to come off. The alcohol went down, the cigarettes went down, the drugs went down. And then I started to see what I'm doing with food is no different than what I was doing. Me running out on a Sunday afternoon to have to get that bag of chips or that box of cookies or, you know, that ice cream or whatever was no different than when I had to go out and get that six pack or had to go out and get that wine or that pack of cigarettes. Like I started to see it's the same thing, but in a different area. And then Providence happened and someone told me about the rooms of FA and And I found my way to those rooms. And I'm so grateful I've been there over 20 years. My life has changed. Right. Uh, So do you want to, I guess, take us back a little bit, being aware of your, I guess, your addictive nature as the, the other things dropped away and you sort of lent on food a bit more, were you aware that it was a, a, it was a problem during that period, or did did you only become aware at the end once you'd gone too far? Did you see it coming? I was always aware. I was always aware, even as a young child, how much weight that I had on me and the way that I ate, because it was so different than my siblings and so different than my friends. And I would go underground and I would try to hide it. I would sneak things and eat things in ways. So my behavior suggested that I knew something was different, but I didn't understand that it was an addiction. I thought I had a weight problem. I thought I needed to diet. I thought that I just hadn't found the right diet. Like the whole idea and concept of food actually being able to be an addiction came later, came actually didn't even come until I'd been an FA for a while to really understand that my food was an addiction. Like I learned that here, but I knew something was off. I mean, I knew some, the way that I ate was different. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about uh, what it's like going to your first FA meeting and and talking to people who are sharing experience that you've had with food? Sure. I was scared to death walking into my first FA meeting. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't, you know, I didn't understand. Someone had just mentioned to me that I might want to check this out. So I went. It was much different than an AA meeting for me. It was the people... I was the type of person that would sit in an AA meeting and chat with everyone and pop up and down to the back of the room to get my coffee and my cookies and my this and my that and telling jokes over here. And I walked into these, this room a little bit late and everyone was sitting auditorium style, very focused, very quiet as if I had walked into like a, some sort of symposium or lecture, you know, that was very, you know, so I was taken aback by how um, serious the people in the room were taking it. I felt helpless and hopeless that day. I really did. And I looked around the rooms and most of the people were thin. So I had no, I, I, I didn't understand why they were there. I didn't understand because in my mind, if you were overweight, I thought I was walking into a room that was going to lose weight and keep it off. It was not something that was even in the realm of possibility for me. So that came up for me. And I, I heard the definition of abstinence in, in food addiction, which is kind of step one for us about weighing and measuring food. It scared me. And then it said no sugar and no flour. And that really scared me because I couldn't, I sat in that whole meeting trying to figure out what would I eat? Like I go, what do I have for breakfast? Oh, there's flour, there's sugar, there's this, like everything that I ate had that in it. So I was, I was scared, but I will say that I got hope from that meeting because the thin people got up and shared and they weren't always thin. 
they shared part of their story. One woman that got up blew my mind. She had lost 80 pounds and kept it off for two years. And it just blew my mind. I was just, I was completely blown away. So I came in scared, hopeless. I went away with maybe a little bit of hope, but I still didn't think that I'd be able to do it. I still didn't think I would be able to do it. That's what the first meeting was like for me. Mm. Thank you. Patrick, uh, we'll go back to you. You mentioned you found out about FA through another 12-step program and realising that food was an issue for you. So what were your steps to find help with your food addiction? Well, maybe I'll just even go back a little bit. You know, when I got to FA, I was 51 years old. So I had been in recovery since I was 33. So I had a number of years in, I understood the steps, I'd read the big book, all, all that stuff. Uh, as I said earlier, I didn't feel like, I felt like there was definitely something missing from my recovery. I didn't have, you know, when we would read the promises, I was very clear I didn't have what the promises called out. I didn't have, I wasn't, I hadn't been rocketed to the fourth dimension. I wasn't happy, joyous, and free. And I was, I felt really stuck that a spiritual life was attractive to me. I would do all the readings, but I felt like I didn't have the personal connection to a higher power and was, and was pretty convinced that that was probably the, that that was probably the reason why I wasn't getting, getting the recovery. And, and the manifestation of my, of my addiction, disease, illness was playing out in a lot of different ways. I wasn't, I, I couldn't hold a job. I wasn't working. I was in debt. I was having a hard time paying my bills. My life had really shrunk. And it seems like, I mean, this is an exaggeration, but it seemed like it had shrunk down to my coffee table and my TV. Uh, The coffee table being full of food and the TV showing me the sports sports events or the the movies that I probably had seen three, four, five times already. And I was at a meeting for another program when... Uh, a friend of mine came up to me and told me he had joined FA and it got my attention. I wasn't, I, I said I'd gotten to 205 pounds, but I had lost, I had lost some of the weight doing my own little, you know, cut out desserts or whatever. So I had lost some weight. So I didn't think I had a weight issue, but the way he talked about FA got my attention. And one of the things he said was they really have the corner on the spiritual side of the program. And I was clear. I did not. And I wasn't, and I wasn't getting it. So it stayed in my head. And for about two months, I didn't do anything about it. And then I had a couple of episodes with food. And when I say episodes, I would, I could, I could clean up pretty well and stay, eat, eat the things I wanted to eat. But then there would always be the inevitable. uh, I'd go to a party and I'd say, no, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that. And then before I knew it, I was eating it. And then I was binging. Uh, and I'd go home and feel bad about myself. So I had a couple of those incidents when I called my friend back and asked him if he would take me to an FA meeting. We went to an, uh, an FA meeting in the in the in my area, and pretty immediately, Bill, I'll tell you, it was like I just I just had a sense there was something different. There was something different in the room, and I got the sense of hope. Like, well, it was two things. One, there was a sense of hope. Like, wow. This is, this is different. Maybe there's something here for me. And then the other thing, which was more from the fear side was, yeah, but do I belong here? Am I like, am I really a food addict? And, and that's, those two stayed with me for a long time, actually. And while I, while I was working the program, but I just kept coming back, you know, I just kept, and I would tell people, I'd say, I don't really know I'm a food addict. And they'd say, don't worry about it. Keep coming, keep coming. Uh, you know, and, and I did, I did. And I'd get through my fears. I'd talk to my sponsor and just be honest and, Nobody ever said, you know what, Patrick, you're right. You don't belong here. You're not a, you're not a food addict. You don't belong here. Nobody ever said that to me. And little by slow, as one a slogan we use in FA, little by slow, I just started getting better. You know, I did, did everything we did in FA. And, and I had a hard time. It took me 14 months to get my 90 days, 90 days of abstinence, which is sort of a, a landmark in FA where you can start doing service. You can, you can have a voice in front of the room. And I kept having breaks. So I, you know, I stayed in my seat and there were times I was like, I don't want to be here. You know, this, this isn't working. I want to get out of here, but I never left. And I think it's because it's where I really belonged. And I felt like I was out of options also. 
felt like there was no there wasn't a whole lot I could do at this point, and FA looked like the best game in town, so I stuck around. Yeah. Do I, do you want to talk about not being able to maintain abstinence and how that felt going to meetings? Yeah, it was hard because I like to. <laughs> I can think pretty highly of myself, even, even when I, you know, you'll hear people in 12-step programs say we're egomaniacs with an inferiority complex. And I relate to that because I, on one hand, I, I suffer from, from massive uh, low self-esteem and unworthiness, a sense of unworthiness. But on the other hand, can think like I, that I'm, you know, I've got all my stuff together and I'm pretty, you know, I got a lot to say. So not being, being in the meetings and keep breaking and continuing to not have a have a voice was was hard for me, but I think it was it was really the the road I needed to walk because there was a lot of humility, and it made me it made it sort of tested me like are you going to stick around or not, are you going to stay here or not, and um, even though I was breaking, I could see that there was like I was doing all the things people do in there, that I was doing the tools, I was making my phone calls, I was doing my 30 minutes of quiet time med- meditation in the morning. I was going to my meetings. I was serious and I was committed. I just couldn't, I just couldn't. And my breaks weren't, they weren't huge. They were more like, it's hard to, it's hard to explain it, but in FA, right? We have a lot of structure. We have a lot of structure around the food. And I had a hard time maintaining the structure. And I used to be a cook. I was a professional cook. So I was like sticking food in my mouth when I didn't even realize that I was sticking food in my mouth. And a lot of my breaks happened that way. Just mindless, mindless eating, not paying attention and sticking things in my mouth. Yeah. It sounds pretty familiar to most of us who do that normally ourselves. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, listen, we'll take another short break there. Next up, we have Rustin's debut single, I'm Alive, featuring vocalist Extina Louise. Uh, and it was released in January 2022. Won't lie, won't lie, I've been living in the darkness. But it's paradise, paradise when I'm rolling with you. You paint my sky, paint my sky, vibrant colors like an artist. And boy, you're my, boy, you're my favorite shade.
Bisexual Alliance Victoria is a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to equality and justice for multi-gender attracted people, including bi, pan, regardless of label or no label at all, their partners and allies. Bisexual Alliance runs discussion groups in person and online. The group offers a safe and fun space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your sexual identity and provide peer support. Bisexual Alliance is especially keen to hear from multi-gender attracted people in regional and rural Victoria. Donations of $2 or more to Bisexual Alliance are now tax deductible. For more information, visit our website at bi-alliance.org, email info at bi-alliance.org or find us on Facebook or Twitter. A 3CR supporter. Salam Habibi. Salam Habibi. This is Marushti and Lukman from Salam Radio Show. Tune in on Sundays from 4 till 5 p.m. on 3CR for some modern Arabic mazika. Salam Radio Show will be bringing you every week a search of new, modern and reinterpreted sounds of Arabic mazika ranging from trap, rap, hip-hop, pop, R&B, experimental, ambient and electronic music. Yalla habaybna! Shunatrin! Join us every Sunday on Salam Radio Show. Mainstreaming Arabic Mazika. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Bridget and Patrick, and we're talking about recovering from their food obsession with the help of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. So, Bridget, before the break, you mentioned that you've been in FA for 20 years, but the thing that you found in FA was you found you found hope. So how's things changed for you, or how did they start changing for you once you got into FA? And then do you want to talk a bit about what your life's like now? One thing that changed pretty quickly in FA when I started weighing and measuring my food and put down sugar and flour, uh, the weight came off. <laughs> uh, I, I am thin as an adult and I never had that experience ever. By the time I was 12 years old, I was already 165 pounds. And today I'm 115 pounds and I've been that weight since being here. Um, so the physical part, you know, we talk about recovery being physical, mental and spiritual. The physical happened really fast for me kind of putting the plug in the jug, as they say. Interestingly enough, in the beginning, my fear got a little bit bigger because I was no longer numbing myself out with food anymore. So I had to walk through the discomfort of, oh my gosh, I don't have the crutch anymore. Um, but thank you, God, FA isn't just a diet plan. You know, it gave me a sponsor. It gave me tools to work that could help me get through the, the uncomfortable time in the beginning where I literally felt like my skin was taken off and put on backwards. You know, but I had a sponsor that I got to work with. I had meetings that I was going to. I had a fellowship that I was building. And slowly, you know, we say this a lot in FA, slowly like water over a stone, my life started smoothing out. That second part of step one where the unmanageable life gets to become more manageable. That's been a slow process, you know, over the years. I came into FA when I was 28. I was single. I was incredibly lonely. Um, I was angry. I was miserable. I was jealous of anyone that had relationships in their life, especially with, you know, a significant other. Um, I was pretty successful in work um, that hadn't fallen apart yet, but I was miserable and didn't want to live anymore. That literally, I came in so broken, so, so broken, you know, and fast forward 20 years. I mean, what hasn't happened in 20 years? I mean, I, I met my husband. I dated as sanely as a food addict in recovery can date. <laughs> um, I think dating's hard for everyone, but addicts put a twist on it. I've become a mom in program. I've gone through pregnancies 
without sugar, flour, and quantities. I've gone through illnesses, you know. I have lost my father in program. I think I think the thing that is so beautiful for me in this program is that I've learned how to face life. I've learned how to face life in a spiritual way. Instead of the fridge being the answer, fast food being the answer, you know, the quickie mart being the answer, whatever snack item, like I've learned to let a spiritual way of life and a relationship with my higher power replace that. And it has changed everything in my life. I mean, my life is so much better than when I first came in to these rooms. And I know it's going to continue to get better. And I've changed. I have friends today. <laughs> I'm not as lonely today. You know, I have a friendship. I have a spouse. You know, like things that I couldn't couldn't manifest in the disease. Yeah. Uh, it is good, isn't it? It's good, that, it's good when the change comes. So do you want to talk a bit about relationships and, and how that's changed for you? Because being somebody who had to hide hide their addiction for so long it must be hard to to change that and be open and honest with people yeah definitely i i think the thing that always amazes me today is that i i'm i'm a participant in relationships today i listen i I hear what's going on with people. Um, I ask them about things that they've shared with me. When I was before program, it was all about me. It was all about me. And I was never even caring or concerned about other people. So that's been a huge difference for me. I think the most significant relationship that's built into FA that helped me in every other relationship, I always said that I wouldn't have even gotten married if I hadn't had this relationship was the relationship and how we, we use a sponsor in FA. You know, in the beginning, as I'm trying to put down sugar and flour and weigh and measure food and not eat in between meals, you know, I'm, ca I'm calling a sponsor every morning and talking with her. And I, I learned how to build a relationship. And she didn't always say what I wanted to hear. You know, there was a lot of hard to hear, good to know, you know, in this in this program. And I didn't cut and run. I learned in this program how not to cut and run. I am a cut and runner. I would have friendships for a year and then my disease would blow up that friendship and I would never talk to that person again. That is my history of friendships up into FA. And I remember being at a committed meeting and I got annoyed with a, a friend of mine in program and I told my sponsor the next day, I'm not going to go to that meeting anymore because of so-and-so. <laughs> and she said, no, you're going to go. And, and that's why I learned how to not cut and run by working this program for program and relationships. It's a good feeling being not so much in control of yourself, but comfortable with yourself. You mentioned that you're a mum. So what's your relationship like with your children around food? Hmm. Well, they know they know mommy's in, in a food program. So uh, they're 10 and 11 now. And, you know, it's, it, it's funny, you know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, mommy, this tastes so good. I wish you could have it, but I know you can't have it, mommy. You know, like, so we have, we have stuff like that, that, that comes up. Um, and I've talked to them, you know, I've been honest with them about, you know, that I'm an addict and that I have food addiction. And even just to, today, I was driving my son uh, to a sporting event and someone called and I didn't take it. I, I canceled it. And he goes, oh, is that from your program? Is that someone calling from your program? I was like, yeah. So they know they know that, that I'm a food addict. They know that addiction runs in our family. They know um, that I do meetings. I have a sponsor. I take calls in the morning. It's funny. We do quiet time in this program and they'll walk downstairs. And if I'm seated doing my quiet time, they go, oh, she's doing quiet time. Turn around and walk away. Come back 30 minutes later. And my relationship with them can be kind of hard when I'm feeding them, when I'm preparing food for them, when I am watching them eat stuff. You know, it's, I've always told them, yeah, it's hard having a food addict mom sometimes, but we'll get through it together. You know, sometimes I can be a little sensitive to how much sugar they're eating or my own fear will come up, you know, and it'll come out. So they experience that with a food addict mom. However, the benefits outweigh <laughs> having a, um, an abstinent mom who loves God is the best gift that I can give them and that I can give them from working this program each day. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's the, I guess, the power of example just to show people that you can have a problem, but it doesn't have to rule your life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so back to you then, Patrick. So we talked about, you know, getting into FA, the, the difficulty getting up 90 days. So once you 
got your 90 days and you were able to start sharing in meetings. How did things change for you? Well, it's definitely been a slow journey, I, and but it's it's the it feels like the right slow journey. Um, I was always looking for something quick, in in you know, like they say, the easier, softer way. FA doesn't promise it. They do promise, like uh, like Bridget said about the if you can put your food on the scale and you don't eat no matter what that the physical side will will straighten out and it'll straighten out first um, but the other stuff is it just takes time and and i in many ways it was the other stuff that i came in for i came in for the the personality change i came in for the spiritual growth um because i wasn't getting it i wasn't getting it elsewhere i wasn't getting in therapy i wasn't getting it in other programs so when i got abstinent I could start doing the deeper work uh, one day at a time. And, and for me, I'd mentioned earlier that my life had shrunk down to an apartment with a couple of roommates, a TV set, my food in the evenings. I didn't have a job. And so as I came into FA and got abstinent, and started working this program the way it's laid out. And, you know, I had mentioned earlier that I needed this program. You know, the FA program, the most significant thing for me is that it, what, it is so structured and detailed and specific. So you know when you're doing it, and you know when you're not doing it. There's not that gray thing like, well, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I'm doing it. Or, you know, I didn't do that tool because I don't think I need to do that tool. It, it was very clear when I came here what it meant to be to work a program, you know, quote unquote, to work a program. It was clear that I did 30 minutes of quiet time every day. It was clear that I went to three committed meetings. It was clear that I read two pages from the big book. And I just started doing that. And, and, and prayer too. Uh, prayer was something that eluded me. I just didn't quite, I don't think I quite bought into it. And, but in FA, it's like something we do. We do it in the morning, we do it at night. And, and what you find out when you make calls to people, often they're telling you, get on your knees and pray. You know, I was at that place where I was, I had the gift of desperation and I just did what people suggest that I do. And all of it, you know, day at a time, day at a time, like water over a rock started changing me. And somewhere along the way, I developed a relationship with a, with a higher power. Somewhere along the way, I developed a faith that I too can change. It isn't just everyone else that gets gets to change. I'm not so broken that I can't change. And you know, things happened. Like I got a job. You know, I got a, a good. I got. I started making money. I started being able to take care of myself a little better. I got a better job. I was able to buy a car for myself. I didn't have a car for a long time. And, which you know limited me, and so where I'm at today and where I'm, I was 12 years ago is pretty significantly different. I mean, just from the 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 outside trappings are different, for sure, but it, it's the the landscape on the inside that is that is the more, the more significant part, because as they say in the big book, we were unable to live life on life's terms. And even as a kid, when I said to you, I was afraid of everything. Like I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to summer camp. I could not, even at those ages, live life on life's terms. And today I can live life on life's terms. I have enough tools. I have enough support. I have a higher power that I can get through things and, and, and find out that it's not as bad as I thought it was. Mm. So would you like to tell us a bit more about, you know, the relationship with the sponsor and the importance of the sponsor in food addicts? Yeah, it's interesting. I've had a, well, in the first year I had three within the first year. And then I, and then I got one that I had for seven years and now I, I have one now that I've had for almost 50 plus years. And I needed, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm being redundant here, but I, ne I needed the, uh, that the scrutiny. I needed somebody who's living close to, closer to me than I was close. I needed to not be running my own program. And I don't think I understood that. I thought that I was a fairly competent, smart guy that could, you know, could figure things out and was introspective. And, and in, in a way that all I, 
worked against me because I was believing my own thinking often when I shouldn't have been. So having a sponsor to get to know me and, and then begin to run stuff by was absolutely a critical piece of me changing and growing. Now today I'm, I had been single for most of the last 20 years. My ability to, to be in a intimate relationship, I, I didn't feel like I had that, those skills and those abilities. And today I'm in a, a significant primary relationship. I'm not married, it's someone I've been seeing for 10 months, but I'm able to manage all the forces of, of, of that type of relationship. And it's, and if I didn't have my sponsor holding, holding my hand and being my coach and all that stuff, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't been, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be this far down the road. Yeah. That's good. That's good to hear. Isn't it? And it's the importance of having somebody who's a bit like family, but they, they're not part of your family. I think that's the good thing about program. Often, you know, people say, you know, it's like having a whole lot of uncles and aunties, people who look after your well-being, but have no real interest in in you, but would like to see you succeed. Okay, well, that's um, really good. Thank you very much, uh, both of you. If anybody would like to find out more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, uh, you can find them in Australia on 1800 717 446, or you can go online at foodaddicts.org for uh, contact information or information about local meetings. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Bridget and Patrick for sharing their food acts and recovery anonymous experience with us. Thank you both. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. This was great. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism and be joined by a member of Alan Family Groups. Coming up next, we have Belmois, The Spirit of Wine, hosted by Uncle Talgium Choco Edwards. Join him on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we have Tanya Batts' folk rock tune, Lie to Me, released in 2016. All songs played today were supplied courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. You told me to fall for me I thought that I'd fall for you
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.